Welcome back to another edition of the Hooper's Almanac. We have a few game twos in the books to discuss, as well as one game three, courtesy of the NBA scheduling, which we're still trying to understand. But regardless, we'll be breaking down both the East and West series for you all. Lots of exciting basketball. The Celtics go up 2-0. Um, the Grizzlies have a huge comeback and win convincingly against the Timberwolves. Lots of good storylines to discuss. It's just going to be Mitch and I today on this podcast. So looking forward to the discussion. Before we get going, let's bring in our friends from Green Top. We are back at the Hooper's Almanac. Game twos are in the books, Mitch. Most of most of the game twos, if not all of the game twos. There's been one game three, which we're still trying to understand. Um, it is so weird how the NBA does this. I don't know why Toronto got boned with this. It looks like Memphis and Minnesota has the same situation. Um, explain to me what the NBA is doing with the turnaround of traveling across from a different location from game two to three, and you only have one day off. And you have the same amount of days off between games one and two. How does that make any sense? Doesn't. And to be honest with you, my whole thing is, I guess it's the issues of scheduling in general. So I guess you could, I mean, what NBA wants to do is make the most of the time they have because they don't want to extend it like yep. first rounds out any more than they have to. So they're going to continue to throw three games a night at us unless it's the weekend when we get our four piece, which also that might have something to do with it. I'm now trying to think about it. There might be some mathematical algorithm in there. So that way that they can amplify and maximize the amount of games they can get on the weekend. So that might be something that they're, they're looking into. Of course, I haven't figured it out mathematically in my head. So it's something to think, figure out. Uh, one thing to note, it is 10 15 on Tuesday night uh, when we were, we were recording this, uh, the, only game that is happening right now is the Bucks uh, Bulls, and the Bulls are up 16 right now uh, in the third quarter or in the second quarter, um, and it's crazy. I mean, Mike Carr might be right uh, that they uh, the Bulls might pull it in five. Bulls in five, Aaron. We have that tonight. Not Bulls in five, but maybe they'll be tied one one, like Mike said. Um, I I'm surprised the Bucks are getting swamp uh, slacked right now. I mean, I thought Bucks would go up 2-0 and then head back to Chicago. Chicago takes one, mm-hmm. Bucks one and five. That was my prediction pre-series. Um, but hey, if this is the game the Bulls win, this is the game the Bulls win. But they could, I mean, if they go back one-one, the United Center is going to be absolutely fired up for when Chicago comes back. That's going to be a great environment. Uh, so, I mean, that would make for a much more competitive series, that's for sure. But we want to start out out west, Mitch. Uh, the last time we spoke was on Sunday night. So we essentially have to recap since Monday, um, Tuesday, and now we're recording here on Wednesday. The latest here out West is that Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns are tied 1-1, and they are the favorites to win the title. And now their best player, arguably, uh, is out for the foreseeable future, at least games three and four. All of a sudden, they've dropped to almost even odds to win this uh, win this series. What do you think about how Devin Booker impacts the Suns' future? Do you see the Suns still winning? Should we be worried about the Suns winning this series? How do you think this impacts them generally? So here's what I'll tell you. Devin Booker had 31 points in that first half against the Pelicans. He had th- over half of their points in that in that game two in, at, at halftime. He had the six, they had 61 points. He had 31 of them. You could see how much they missed his offense when he went out. And that's what I'm, that's what the difference is. You can say you can say Chris Paul can do a lot for you, but when Devin Booker is your main scorer, that's that's your big missing factor. Chris Paul has not been the leading scorer on a team for a while. I mean, he was that he was that guy in OKC, but he was also like the head and shoulders the best player on that team. So he kind of had to be. Um, when he was in Houston, it was James Harden leading that team. The last time he was actually kind of a leading scorer was when he was in uh, the Clippers, and he was always either injured or was Blake Griffin always getting hurt. So one of the other was always happening. So you're putting a lot on Chris Paul's shoulders. You're going to put a lot on DeAndre Ayton's shoulders. But the thing, and the other thing is, it's now 
you're getting a lot more defensive attention on these guys because all the defensive attention at this point from the Pelicans had always been focused at Booker. And it's kind of crazy because Willie Green knows everything that is going on on that, on that Sun sideline because he's a former, I mean, one of the assistant coaches of Monte Williams in the past. So it's crazy because both those guys know each other so well. And Willie Green is going to, it's, I think it's tough. I don't think the odds should be even though on the, the win this series. I think that's kind of crazy. Uh, I think the best case scenario let me rephrase that. The worst case scenario for the Suns is honestly they come out of this uh, this two day road trip in in New Orleans and they end up down three one and but and they don't have Booker. I still think they end up splitting the, these two games in New Orleans even without Booker. I don't think I worry about New Orleans quote unquote home court advantage as much. Although I will say it was popping in the playing game. Maybe maybe they just show out because they're like, oh my gosh, we have a chance to actually steal something here. That, that might happen. What I'm saying is I don't see it happening in my head. I see the Pelicans taking game three. Suns haven't really in the back in game four, and they're like, oh, maybe we let's focus back up. They kind of learn and adjust in game four, and they come out fighting in game four and take that one. But I, I just don't see how it's even odds, though. Yeah, I mean, even odds is a mischaracterization by me. It's minus 250. Oh. But still, that seems pretty low to me, yeah. considering the pre-series line was minus 2,500. Obviously, the Suns are a better team. I mean, that's a huge drop-off for being even in the series, albeit um, their best player arguably is out for two games. But even if they split, which I have full confidence in Chris Paul carrying them to at least one win on the road. And when you go through that whole the whole roster, I mean, the Suns still have a really good roster. They played without their stars for stretches throughout the season. Devin Booker was out for multiple weeks. Chris Paul was out for multiple weeks. Mikhail Bridges has been the Iron Man that they needed. He's played every single game since he's gone to college and played in the NBA. He's been amazing, uh, and that's well-documented. Um, but he's great. Cam Johnson's great. DeAndre Ayton's been good. Uh, Jay Crowder has not been great. Uh, campaign oh, has not been great. But they need those type of role guys to step up in Devin Booker's absence. That being said, I still think they take one game. They go back to they go back home for game five, even series two two. Devin Booker's back. All of a sudden, you got two out of three at home, and you have your best player back. You win the series. Uh, I just think it's pretty absurd value right now. We put it out as one of our best bets, actually, um, just because we think it's we think it's a great great value play. So I think I think Phoenix still takes the series. It might be a lot. I mean, it's going to be a lot more competitive than we would have thought pre-series without all of these injury concerns, but I still have confidence in Phoenix winning it. It sort of seems like uh, akin to Chris Paul getting hurt last series or last year against the Lakers. Um, Compare it to that. Obviously he struggled with it throughout the full first series, all of a sudden came back and was fine in the second and third series. Um, I think that's how Devin Booker is going to kind of handle it this year as well. I think it's a little different because Devin Booker, again, last year was their main go-to score. And this year, I feel like he's that has still that impact. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, who do you think is going to start? I mean, who do you think is going to replace him in the starting lineup? Do you think it's campaign? Cam Johnson. Interesting. You go just big with it. Yep. I like Cam Johnson because he spaces the floor. Um, campaign, you don't need another ball handler out there with Chris Ball already out there. Um, you go Mikhail at the two or Cam at the two, and then the other at the three, Jay and DeAndre, I think it's the five that they go with. Um, and then you bring campaign off the bench. You see more minutes for Landry Shamit off the bench as well, um, which I don't love, but maybe he can hit a couple shots. I was going to say, I think the other guy you have to start playing more is Aaron Holiday. I feel like you're missing now. I mean, I think Aaron Holiday is the missing piece to kind of this thing because he still can be a little bit of a spark plug off that bench for that team. And, Maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like him a lot more than I like the Landry Shaman minutes I'm getting. And honestly, he might be a better, he might be just a different guy you throw out there. I mean, there's a reason why they got Aaron Holiday. You maybe throw him out there instead of campaign it sometimes. Because like we talked about with Evan on Sunday, there's those moments where campaign looks great. But my God, there are also those moments where I want to say, what the heck are you doing out there? You're looking like a chicken running with your head cut off. Uh, and it's, it's kind of just frustrating to watch. Aaron Holiday, you at least know what you're getting out of him. Yeah, I would also like to see more Torrey Craig in this series. He played eight minutes in game two, scored zero points, didn't take a single shot, was essentially ineffective, but he didn't wasn't given a chance to really play. I think he's valuable in this series when you have guys like CJ McCollum 
Brandon Ingram who are absolutely on fire. You need somebody to actually slow them down so your offense has a chance to breathe and is not playing. You're not trading basket for basket. Without a guy like Devin Booker, you aren't as suited to trade basket for basket. You're more so relying on stops and being able to set up your offense and progressively, gradually score when you need to, but not necessarily expecting and needing to score every time down the floor. So I think maybe Torrey Craig gets more minutes. I actually like him starting because he's a veteran. He's played on many different playoff teams for the Nuggets, for the Bucks, um, for the Suns as well. So I wouldn't hate throwing Torrey Craig out there in the starting lineup since you already have so much offense with Mikhail or whoever else you're throwing out there. So the other thing is when I thought about Torrey Craig, and also I just think about any other guard, the Pelicans ripped him up and have ripped him up in both games on the boards. And that's what like that's been the difference in both these games. That's the reason why the Pelicans came back in game one, ended up losing still. But Valen Shunis, I mean, had ridiculous what was I don't remember how many rebounds he had in that game one. 25. 25. Thank you. Yeah, I knew it was in 20s. I didn't want to screw that up. And then Larry Nance had a crazy game on the board. I mean, he had six, and Ingram had 11 rebounds. I mean, last night, I mean, Tuesday night as well. Um, Jackson Hayes had like a two minute stretch there where he was dunking on every, every man and child. It was literally hide your kids, hide your wife kind of moment. Whenever Jackson Hayes was dribbling the ball down the court on a fast break. So I don't know. I, 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 here's my, I think, I think Pelicans take game three. It's going to be that like momentum, carrying that momentum from game two over into game three. But I think Suns can take that, take it back in game four. Um, my prediction is like yours. They come back and it, the best case scenario is they split the difference in New Orleans and come back game five and they're only tied two two. And it's best, basically just a best of three from here on out with a hopefully Devin Booker playing. Well, we're both on the Suns. Um, which is good, but definitely something to monitor. And for some reason, Devin Booker can't come back game four. Obviously that swings things, but we're still on the Suns. Might be go, might go six or seven from what we expect. I think the Pelicans certainly win at least one more game considering they're going back home, but should be a good series. We're going to see what Chris Paul is made of in the playoffs once again. (laughs) Um, But another series, Mitch, I wanted to touch on briefly because we talked about so much on the Sunday podcast was the Jazz Mavericks series and the Mavericks even the series back at 1-1, Jalen Brunson had 41 points. Career day from him. Yeah. Luka Doncic is now questionable for game three. He might be back. Maybe he's back for game four. But now the series is evened, and you have home court back um, in your favor, assuming it goes seven. Um, and I, 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 I like the Mavs on Sunday before they won this game. I like them even more now. If Doncic plays in game three, that's great. If he doesn't, that's also fine. Um, I would actually prefer the Jazz to win game three so you can get the Mavericks at a more underdog uh, status. But I still like the Mavericks in the series. Are you still bullish on the Jazz, or how are you feeling here? Oh, no, I, I, I've i quickly turned my brain, and I've reminded myself why I hate the Jazz, and um, it's because they can't win competent basketball games when, they're, when the other team's best player is not in. The other thing is you talked about Jalen Brunson career game. What I mean, I love this guy in Villanova, and my God, I wish uh, there's a reason why I wanted the Celtics to trade for him at the deadline, and there's a reason why the Mavericks didn't give him up because he was going to do crap like this. Uh, the other guy we should talk about who was the second leading scorer on the Mavericks that night, Maxi Kleber with eight threes, uh, eight for eleven from three, and I mean he wasn't missing in that fourth quarter. I mean he was ridiculous. Him and it was him and Brunson carrying him to the end there, and I, if you would have told me the other German to ever play for the Mavericks that wasn't named Dirk Nowitzki was going to help you lead them to a playoff win was Massey Kleber. I would have laughed. I would have chuckled and I thought you would have been stupid, but I mean, congrats to Maxie. I, I, he's a great guy. I mean, I, I can't hate on him at all. Um, But man, I can hate on the jazz all day, all day long, because I mean, the fact that you're, here's the difference. Mike Conley didn't have a single point the entire game. Mr. Veteran Mike Conley was getting also torched on uh, by Jalen Brunson, just going right past him. And I get, you know, I get it. Mike Conley is old as dirt. So he's just not going to be able to stick with uh, Brunson as much, but still, I mean, there are so many moments in that game where I was like, okay, you're playing Conley off the floor and you're going to throw a less, uh, even worse defender in Jordan Clarkson in the game. This can all, this can only go, this can only go well. Yeah, and you put Jordan Clarkson in because he's an offensive juggernaut. I mean, he had 21 on 8 of 11 shooting. 
great night. Six perennial six man of the year candidate. If Tyler Harrell wasn't having the rear year he was, um, you know, I think Clarkson wins again. That's the only reason you have him in the ball game is he's just a bucket maker. But in general, this Jazz team just again terrible vibes. I I really don't trust this Jazz team at all. There's something about it that you can't measure with numbers that doesn't sit right. And then when you lose a game with the opponent's best player off the floor, also not a good look. So I'm fully in on the Mavericks. I think they win this series. Uh, I mean, if Doncic doesn't play, which isn't going to happen, he's going to come back in this series. But even if he were not to play, I think this game, this series still goes six or seven, to be honest. I think this Mavs team is that competitive. And you throw Doncic in the in the court, I mean, I think they win the series outright. So I, I, I love the Mavs in this series. I think the Jazz run ends here. They break up the team. Quinn Snyder is gone. You instantly start to blow it up. And you maybe keep one key piece, probably Donovan Mitchell, if you if you really can. Uh, and then you go from there. So I, I, I think this is a bad sign for where the Jazz franchise is going. Okay, so I know there's been a lot of Quinn Snyder talk. But my question is, who is better out there? Like, who do you have that's better out there than Quinn Snyder? That's always, like, my conversation, like, I always like to have. If someone says Mark Jackson, I'm going to throw things. I don't want to hear Mark Jackson's name be brought up in any coaching search, unless it's for the Lakers, then I'm a happy man. But don't bring Mark Jackson's name in this place thinking he's better than Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder changed the Jazz whole, like, offensive scheme and made it a great, good, I'll, I'll clarify, good team to make them to the second round for the playoffs. I mean, you're consistently doing well in the regular season, but do something in the playoffs. But I, I just refuse to believe that Mark Jackson is better than Quinn Snyder. There cannot be more than three names better than Quinn Snyder out there right now. It's not necessarily about being better. It's about being different. At a certain point in your franchise's career, you need to move on. True. You've, <laughs> you've, you've been hearing the same shit for years. You're stuck in the same situation. It's like Groundhog's Day. You're like, you've heard this guy say the same thing year in and year out. We got this. You know, we should be confident after you've lost four straight series under the leadership of the same guy. Like, eventually, you just need to change a pace. I honestly believe that. Quinn Snyder could easily be one of the best coaches in the league, X's and O's wise. And there may not be somebody better purely from a coaching and understanding of basketball perspective to replace him. But still, I think you have to make the difference. And I think Quinn Snyder even may initiate that himself. And like, I got to get myself out of the situation before I end up like just dying here and not doing anything. So I, I think it's at some point it happens, whether it's the players being moved, whether it's Quinn Snyder being moved, something happens if they lose in this first round. I mean, you cannot have three, four, five years of perpetual, you know, underperformance and expect nothing to change. You know, it happens to every team throughout the NBA. No, you're right. And, I mean, here's the deal. First two years, he was under 500, and then every – he's been coaching the Jazz for eight years, and the last six seasons he's been over 500 every year. Um, so, my thought process, you're right. I think he is a great X's and O's guy. His energy, his players coach mentality might not be there either. But, no, I'm with you. I think this Jazz team, if they can't make it past this first round, I think there's there's testy waters ahead of them. I think I, here's my deal. They need to. There's no uh, Utah just isn't like a free agent destination, so they have to like make trades. So I think you still kind of keep. It's just. I think their big move is moving Donovan Mitchell to like a more ball dominant guard and like getting another wing around him that's not named Mike Conley and not uh, old decrepit and dirt. Um, so like give him another option as like another wing guy. Yeah, I think you move Gobert to be oh, honest. Oh, yeah, you have. I think you move there. You find two different trades. You move Gobert and you move Conley. Conley, he's got a contract you can move, and you some team that's going to need a backup point guard will take him. And then you can move Gobert, get a bunch of pieces. You can get a, I'm sure you can get a bunch of pieces, probably a draft pick out of it, and maybe for even this year, something like that. I feel like is a good move, but it's something to even think about. But I completely agree with you. The I am also on the idea that the Mavs are going to win the series. And if at least if Luca is back by game five, like the next game, they're home. Then I'm still like, okay, the, the Mavs have this. Yep. Uh, he's been upgraded to questionable for game three. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. I think that's on Thursday We're recording here on Wednesday. 
um, if not on Friday. So it's coming up here in the next few days. Um, we'll see. I mean, if, if, if he plays that game, I think the Jazz could still win. We still have to see how healthy Luka is when he's playing. I'd imagine he come he doesn't come back unless he's close to 100%. Right. Um, but, I mean, I also could see him gritting it out when he's not nearly 100%. We saw him play in that Clippers series last year when he was clearly, uh, you know, laboring with that uh, injured shoulder, and he still played extremely well with that injury. So I expect him, if he's back, they win the series. If he's not back, I think they still keep it competitive. Regardless, I think the Jazz are in trouble as a franchise. A few other series we want to touch on here, Mitch. I don't think we need to touch much on the Warriors Nuggets. I love you, buddy, but uh, no, we do not. I love the you. Warriors <laughs> dominated 2-0. Jokic got ejected, ruined our Hooper's Almanac bet. Uh, we're not hitting anything. We're not hitting any bets. We, we're, I think we're, we are on a very cold streak right now. No, we're, uh, it's just we, I think we have to agree we have to stay away from player props. That's because, fine. Because the last two player props have killed us. But both were on great analysis, in my opinion. Let's just break it down real quick. Jokic. <laughs> had 26 points gets ejected with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter on a point on a play he got fouled on which probably would have ended up him getting 28 he has seven minutes to get two points that to me seems like a good get we also predicted he would get a ton more free throws in that game i think he was in double digits in free throws only shot two in game one the other point with kd which happened the day when we're recording uh, his over-under was 30 and a half. He ended up with 27 despite shooting, what, four for 17? Uh, but he shot 20 free throws. So how many games do you know of Kevin Durant going under his point total when he shoots 20 free throws? Not many. He shot horrendously. Part of that was missed open shots. Part of that was great defense by the Celtics. I still think that's the right side of that bet. Um, but in the middle of that, Mitch, was the Grizzlies absolutely dominating the Timberwolves, which is a series we will talk about. Um, and the Grizzlies are back. They're tied 1-1. They beat the Timberwolves 124-96 to in Game 2 at home. Uh, I mean, they were up so much, they took John Morant out early in the fourth quarter. They looked great. Um, nobody from the Timberwolves were able to get it going. The high point score was Anthony Edwards with 20 points. Um, relatively inefficient game from him. Carl Anthony Towns didn't have a great game, only ended up taking seven shots from the floor. Uh, D'Angelo Russell was poor again. And then the Grizzlies just played incredible team basketball that we've seen all year. Uh, what did you think about this game? And are you more confident in the Grizzlies winning the series after game two? Grizzlies are going to win the next three. Wow. I I have. I feel, I'm telling you, that first game was just like, okay, we're getting used to seeing what's going on here. Then the Grizzlies made the adjustment. They only played Steven Adams three minutes. They only played him three minutes. Then they're like, okay, we'll throw Tillman, Clark, and Jaron Jackson at uh, at Cat all night. And like you said, he only took seven shots. There are these nights where I – there's a reason why, like, me and you were wondering why we should even put Cat on that third-team All-NBA. And it's because of nights like th- like last yeah. night. It's because we could have at least had a night where we got – we could we could have thrown Bam – might have even thrown Gobert and hated ourselves by doing it. But, I mean, honestly, Cat has these nights where he is slow on defense. He doesn't give a crap, and he's too very passive on offense. And then he also just, when he does take his shot, and he's very reckless. It, it, it reminds me of the first playing game against the Clippers when he fouled out because he was taking, he had reckless fouls and that's what killed him. And that's exactly what happened last night. I can't trust in the Timberwolves at all when their second best player and Carl Anthony Towns is just not trying as hard and is not as locked in as the rest of the guys on the team. Uh, Grizzlies always locked in. You never tr- distrust a team that has a good culture. That's what I'll say. You've, you've seen it throughout the entire playoffs whether it's be the Celtics, the Heat, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, you never hate on it. You can't distrust a team that has a good culture, and that's why I am fully riding on the Grizzlies for the next three games. Yeah, I had the Grizzlies, I think, in six was my pre-series prediction. Um, I think the Grizzlies still win in six. Yep. I think I think five is a bit ambitious. I think Minnesota gets one at home in either game three or four. During the playing game, they had a great home crowd. I think they probably sneak one out. All you need is a one hot night from either Cat or Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell. I mean, you got three guys there if, that could 
if Russell shows up ever in this series. But he showed up again in the playing game at home, um, which was surprising to me. Uh, I mean, I thought he was more of the guy we're seeing here in Memphis, but he played really well against the Clippers, um, who have a really good defense as well. So I, I think the Timberwolves win one. I could see it going back to Memphis game five, tied up 2-2. Memphis wins a big game five, which is always the pivotal game of the series and close series. And then you go back to six and you close it out. You just take care of business. You end it there. Don't mess around with the game seven. You have the momentum carried over from, from game five. I think that's how I see it going. I mean, hats off to the Timberwolves for what was, I mean, obviously their season's not over. They're yeah, I was like, we're, we're actually like they're bed, dead and buried already. But like, I mean, honestly, I, they are. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, I think the Grizzlies proved a lot to me tonight. Uh, I was concerned about them in game one. Regardless of the outcome of this series, I should say the Timberwolves have had an incredible season, mm. as have the Grizzlies. Both teams should be very proud of where they are now. I think if you're just the Grizzlies, you're a number two seed, you lose it in the first round. That's a disappointment, uh, regardless of how your regular season went. So um, I think the Grizzlies still win. I think game two was very uh, positive news for that take as well. Uh, Let's head out east, Mitch, or are we going to take a break here? We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. We're back with a little Eastern talk. Uh, Aaron likes to favor the West side, so I like to take my East whenever I can take it. Uh, so Wednesday night has been the Eastern Conference night. There's been three Eastern Conference games. Uh, we talked about it earlier in this pod that we were watching the Bulls, Bucks right now. Um, the Bucks pulled it back in, and it's now a five-point game. Um, and it's kind of crazy how that, I mean, Giannis decided to take over here in the third quarter and it's crazy, but we'll talk about this series a little bit later on, but we will talk about is the biggest and probably the most entertaining series of the NBA playoffs right now, which is the Celtics and the Nets game two was tonight. Celtics uh, pulled out the win again, uh, 114 to 107 after being down 17 points in the third quarter, Aaron, we were both watching this game. I was watching it from the comfort of my bedroom. You were watching it from the comfort of a pub in Chicago. What was what were your thoughts on this game? What were your in, like kind of takeaways? Yeah, I mean, I think the Celtics really stole one here. I mean, the Nets were in control all game until the fourth quarter. Uh, they scored 17 points in the fourth quarter, and that's really what killed them. Other than that, they were in this game. They were ahead almost the whole way. Absolute domination in the first quarter, especially uh, plus nine in that quarter. They didn't really have a particular player that went off. Honestly, early, it looked like it was the guy. It was the bench game for the Nets mm-hmm. uh, in a role player game for the Nets because Bruce Brown, one of their starters, had 23 points, was incredibly efficient, eight for 12 from the field, three for four from three point range. Also had eight rebounds and four assists, an incredible game from him. You also had a great game from Goran Dragic, who had 18 off the bench, but it was really the stars for the Nets to let them down. I mean, Kevin Durant, they covered him great, the Celtics did, but he still missed a lot of shots that we've seen Kevin Durant hit over and over and over again. Um, I mean, Kevin Durant, as I said earlier, to the dismay of the folks who have tailed our Hooper's Almanac bets, uh, produced from the line 18 for 20. But he just couldn't hit a shot. Uh, He just couldn't hit a shot tonight. One for two from three. A lot of misses from the mid-range. Four for 17 from the field overall. Kyrie Irving had a much worse game as well. Four for 13 from the field, only 10 points. And honestly, for the Celtics, it was a team effort. But the guy who really impressed me tonight was Jalen Brown. It wasn't an awesome Jason Tatum game. There were a few possessions specifically in the early fourth quarter and the third quarter where Jalen Brown hit huge shots to at least keep the Celtics in striking distance. And then they were able to get a few stops and then turn the tides either on a turnover, maybe got to the line. Jason Tatum hit a few buckets late. Um, But honestly, Jalen Brown showed up tonight huge, as well as Peyton Pritchard uh, was also big off the bench. There were a few possessions where I was like, why is Peyton Pritchard still in the game Uh, with four minutes left in the fourth quarter instead of Marcus Smart, uh, especially out of a timeout? Uh, which we can talk about a lot of questionable decisions, in my opinion, from Ime Adoka, but the Celtics ended out, uh, you know, with the win. So obviously not much to complain about if you're a Celtics fan. And there is no complaining covering from this mouth. Uh, so I want to, I'll hit on the nuts real quick. Uh, Bruce Brown, 
first nine points of the game. Congrats, man. I'll give you that. I'll clap it up for you. And then you got daddied all night. So I don't want to hear about it. I, 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 so I gave my list of Mitchell Selsley's favorite players. Bruce Brown might crack the top five. I, I think Bruce Brown is definitely cracking that top five after this series, man. I can't take him. I can't take him. Um, Drogic also is like that. They, they, I saw this Twitter thread today uh, during the game. Drogic is like a, one of like the seven like Celtics killer playoff killers. Like there are like a bunch of guys like Evan Fournier, <laughs> both playing for the Celtics and against the Celtics. Um, uh, Drogic, Chris Middleton, three guys that I never want to, I never want to see uh, against the Celtics in the playoffs. Never would want to have to never want a 10 foot stick away from me. Just don't want it. Um, Kyrie Irving called it, told it. I told you after like a great game one said he was going to have an off game two because it just, it, it felt too much in that game one game two he was going to get to his head although i will say i'm loving to learn a little bit more about ramadan during this entire series because i didn't learn enough about it with ennis canner doing it because he wasn't as big of a name so i was learning i'm learning more about it with Kyrie. um so i do like that part of it um you're right though it was jalen brown's game and it was also i mean honestly horford is playing like i tweeted this he's playing like 2012 like hawks horford i feel like someone went back in time pulled him out of the time loop and brought him to this i mean this series i don't know who did it but i thank whoever did it because he is doing incredible things this entire series he was also huge that second half he did foul out which sucked um grant williams did not miss a shot the corner office did not miss a shot and i was very happy man um, and like you said, I love Peyton Pritchard with all my heart and soul. Uh, he is my, I, in my rankings, uh, I have a lot of rankings, but like in the rankings of like favorite Celtics backup point guards, he is right now. Number two behind Terry Rozier. Eddie house is a solid number three on that list. Um, but I love Peyton Pritchard a lot and I'm happy that he's in the rotation. The reason why Ime was playing him was because it gave us the more space, uh, on the corners. So that way the, the bigs, I mean, they had Claxton sticking on Pritchard for like in the corner. It made no sense to me. And so they were just moving the big man out of the paint and that gave Brown smart and Tatum able ability to go to the rim. And if they, if Claxton crashed in the middle, that gave him a kickout guy. Yeah. It's well, smart was on the bench. They were right, playing. Sorry, on- it was brand, It was uh, Brown and Tatum. And then uh, Grant Williams is out in the corner too. Yeah. In crunch time, I get the Celtics drop at that point, but your guy was just named defensive player of the year. True. And you're having him out for a bench guy with four and a half minutes left. And then what is one of the most important games you will ever have in this series? You have the chance to go up 2-0 mm-hmm. at home, take absolute control, and you aren't playing one of your top three guys. Uh was a little surprising to me. And I also think Marcus Smart, he didn't shoot it great tonight. Obviously, you know, one for six from the from deep. So maybe he's not spacing the floor as he sometimes does, albeit he's still a threat out there. Like I don't think Nick Claxton can completely leave him. Um, you know, I understand Pritchard's a much better shooter. Yeah. But uh, I just think what Marcus Smart does on all ends of the floor, facilitating defensive-wise, I think it's worth to have him out there. I just was like, wow, is Marcus Smart hurt? Like, what what happened in the third to fourth quarter? It just seemed like he was out for a really long time. Uh, so, so that specifically caught my eye. Also, I don't want to, like, take anything away from Jason Tatum's game. He did have 10 assists. He did have a double-double. So I was – yeah, I was going to say that because we were we were talking about his facilitation criteria, you know, his resume uh, earlier on in the year, and it was was pretty much non-existent. He was averaging three, four assists, but we noted it a few months ago, his ability to pass out of double teams was really, really impressive. And now he's carried that over to not even just focusing on passing out of double teams, doing it proactively when you know you're not having a good shooting night, you're driving and kicking or you're just swinging it, not, you know, being a selfless uh, ball player. So I think 10 assists obviously speaks for itself. Yeah. Well, I mean, eight assists in the first game and 10 assists in game two. I mean, can't hate that at all. Um, I do worry about game three. I do think we're going to lose game three. I think the Nets are going to be coming out at at their home court, which again, like, like uh, I said earlier, whether or not that's really gonna be a home court advantage, we'll see, but I uh I do worry about game three. That's what I will say. Although, like I did say earlier, somehow the Celtics have two days off until game three, and they don't play till Saturday, and I'm not mad about that. So give us the more time to rest. Completely agree. Um, yeah, I mean our Celtics predictions looking great. Love it. A lot of people were 
in on the Nets pre-series. And honestly, you know, we can say we're the smartest people out there, but at the end of the day, these were two really close games that could have easily gone to the Nets, especially game one. Uh, And this game was more in the control of the Nets for 90% of this game. I mean, they completely shit the bed in the fourth quarter. So uh, this was an impressive win for the Celtics. Anytime you can go up 2-0 in a series, that's pretty much a toss-up. That's absolutely huge. And if you take one on the road, that's a win. You're going back home 3-1 with a chance to close close out the series. Um, So absolutely love that. Another series I want to touch on here that is now three games in is the Philadelphia 76ers, which arguably had the best play of the night with Joel Embiid hitting what was essentially the game-winning three, uh, turnaround three in overtime. The Raptors completely choked away this game. Uh, James Harden fouled out in the late fourth quarter. He was not effective. Uh, Joel Embiid only had five points in the first half, but he ended up with over 30, uh, let's say 33 points. Obviously had a great second half and overtime, hit the biggest shot of his career, arguably. Uh, it was kind of fitting. They showed the clip of Kawhi Leonard hitting the shot over Joel Embiid in that same arena to eliminate the Sixers uh, when Kawhi and the Raptors went on to win the championship. And now Joel Embiid hits the shot over the Raptors on the road. Uh, quite the quite the moment there. What do you think about the Sixers now that they're up 3-0, obviously going to win this series? They're going to win one more game out of the next however many exist, possibly even sweep. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about the Sixers in the next round and their future prospects in the East? Well, I hate that uh, I chose the Raptors. That's that's already kicking me in the gooch. Uh, what I will say is that the missing – I mean, missing Sky Barnes is killing the Raptors right now. Yep. Um, I think – I told you this off before we started. I think if the Raptors would have won tonight, Barnes would have made it a point to come back for game four. Now I don't see a reason for him to come back for game four. And I think the Sixers do sweep, um, which makes me think it's going to be a, a sweep-a-thon up in the north. I mean, up the top side of this bracket, we could have a – although I think Atlanta could take probably one against the Heat, which we'll get to them later. But, yeah, I just think what the Sixers are doing – I won't say that Harden had a bad game. I mean, it was 7-13. of 13, He was efficient. And, I mean, but it, it's just defense that kills me every time. Although somehow Fred Van Vliet cannot make a bucket right now to save his life, mm-hmm. which is killing me. Um, but, I mean, this 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 Sixers team knows it's seven, eight guys that it's going to roll with. Um, and it doesn't make sense to me, the guys they roll with, but it's, it works for them. They did have three, four guys play over 40 minutes. I mean, they, I mean, Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey technically sat for a minute of this game. I mean, they played 47 minutes of this game, which is crazy. I mean, it did go to overtime, which helped out. I mean, that, that helps boost that number a little bit. But honestly, that's ridiculous how much – I mean, they're, they might be exhausted for game four, which might be the other thing. Which, uh, But what I will say is this. Sixers are going to be a tough beat for whoever they play just because they have a guy named Joel and beat on their team, especially if he's hitting shots like this. It did look – I did predict it was going to be a low foul call game, and it looks like that in the first half. And it yep. kind of stuck through that the entire game. B just decided to get physical and manhandle any guy who was named Precious Chichu or Kev Birch on the Raptors. So it worked out for him. It was an interesting just case study on where the NBA is today, watching the 76ers try to end this game in the fourth quarter before overtime. They inbounded the ball to Embiid with probably 15 seconds left. They ended up doing a step back three with seven footer who is a good three point shooter. But the fact that you're doing a step back three uh, with a guy who's that physically dominant in a tie ball game, you're going to draw a foul or you're going to get a good shot inside or you're going to get double teamed in which you get a wide open shot on the outside from somebody else. It was just crazy to think about. Um, And then he proves me wrong. And goes ahead and hits a turnaround three to win it in overtime with 0.7 seconds left. Uh, incredible skill. I mean, he's arguably the MVP this year. I know we talked about Jokic being the MVP, but this is the type of the performance that makes you go back and think, man, does this guy really deserve it? Obviously, it's all based on the regular season, but th- his performance in the playoffs and the Sixers' performance in the playoffs has been really impressive. A lot of us expected the Raptors to be competitive in the series, this was their best game by far. Yes, they're shorthanded with Scotty Barnes, but I think this is still a game you expect them to win at home down 2-0. You come back, you make this series competitive. The fact that they weren't able to do that and just fall short, 
um, I think says a lot about the resilience of the 76ers team too. I still like the Heat in the next round if they do match up. Uh, I just think the Heat have a lot more defense to throw at Embiid and Harden. I also think they are physical, but honestly, they're very smart. And I think they get away with a lot of fouls as well. Um, and also draw offensive fouls with Kyle Lowry and others taking a lot of charges. Um, and they also have great offense and uh, excellent shooting to be able to keep up with the Sixers that they're scoring a lot. So I still like the Heat, but the Sixers have obviously been very impressive in this series. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm still choosing the Heat next round 10 times out of 10. Ah, nine times out of ten. That tenth time, it's uh, one guy gets hurt from the Heat. That's super important. Yeah, apparently, maybe a guy named Jimmy Butler who decides to go for forty-five in Game Two of that Hawks Heat series, which was incredible, Aaron. I mean, that was a, a great game from. I mean, Jimmy Butler, especially when he shoots four of seven from three. I mean, who the heck would have expected that? Not I. I'll say that. Not I. No, he played great. Um... It's honestly this type of performance, though, that worries me (laughs) Um, because then he gets overly confident and Jimmy Butler is not short of confidence to begin with. Right. Obviously. Uh, But it's this type of performance. He's like, wow, man, I just put up 45. Like, let me take this. And there are so many instances when I'm seeing the heat play and it's just a fadeaway Jimmy Butler mid-range jumper from the baseline and he's basically aligned with the side of the backboard and it's like there's not a chance in hell this ball is going in and you have two wide open three-point shooters and Bama Adebayo that's the other thing that I've hated about watching the Heat despite two wins in this series Bama Adebayo has been a non-factor offensively and I think there are some people who would attribute it out to Bama Adebayo's timidness uh, but in my opinion, he just hasn't been getting the ball at all. I mean, he's had a total of 11 shots. And when you watch the offense, it's just been him posting up, not getting the ball, Jimmy Butler, ISO, or swinging it around to shooters. And obviously they played very well, well enough to win both games convincingly. But I don't like that specific part of the heat. And that worries me a bit, um, not being reliant or at least feeding one of your better players enough. Um, And I think this Jimmy Butler game for as good as he was and as impressive as it was to see him shoot the ball well, especially from outside, um, it also causes some concerns for me down the road. I don't disagree with you. The thing is, it reminds he reminds me a little bit of Marcus Smart in these moments because it's just like he has these games where he goes off and then he has these the next game. He's going to go for like four for four for 15. The thing is. He's smart enough to know when to pass it up. He is smart once he like knows he's off. He knows, okay, it's going to be a Tyler Hero game. So the other thing, I'll, but I will talk about the – I'll touch on the BAM thing, though. The BAM thing I, what I'm picking up on is that the Heat are just going small against these against these lineups whenever the Hawks just have John Collins out there. They just throw P.J. Tucker at the center, and that's just what they're rolling with. And it just looks weird, but it works every now and then. But, I, I mean, I mean, BAM only played 24 minutes uh, on, I mean, in game two. And, I mean, he was in foul trouble early on, but still, I mean, that's kind of crazy, I mean, to have that. But I agree with you. Bam isn't, like, being as involved in the offense, but it might be just because the Hawks are kind of hunting them on defense and trying to get them in foul trouble early on, and it's kind of working. So I, I would say that might be a, definitely being a tribute, a tribute to that. But I don't know. I feel like Bam Bam is picky and choosy on when he wants to get going, and – I think he knows when it's his time to like get involved with the game plan, and I'm not worried about it at all. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't have any worries about the Heat. Yeah, I mean, I think in the next series, it, it, he, they're going to need a huge Bam Adebayo series against Joel Embiid. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's going to need to happen on both ends of the floor. Um, but what I love about what the Heat have been doing this series has been specifically how they've guarded Trey Young. I mean, we talked about it in game one on Sunday. Trey Young, eight points, a career low in the playoffs for him in game one. Game two, he shot it much better, but he had 10 turnovers. Yeah. So they were suffocating him on ball pressure. He wasn't able to throw the classic lob that Trey loves to do uh, whenever Clint Capella's in the lineup or John Collins is playing really well. Neither of those guys are either on the floor at all or not playing very well if you're John Collins. So I think that's been huge. Um, and I think that's the recipe you need if you're the heat to either shut down Maxi 
or Harden, and then you say, all right, we're going to throw Bam at Embiid, and he's going to be good enough to at least play him competitively right. um, and slow him down a little bit, and you just focus on trying to stop the guards from driving, from really creating for other guys on those open threes, and I think you're in a good situation. So I really like the way the Heat have played Trey Young, and I think it can be replicated in the next series. Well, so here, I mean, here's the other thing. I mean, Bogdanovich, like I said, I mean, he he went off. I mean, he went off in game two. So it's going to be picking and choosing which guard you want to go, want to attack. And I think if you're the Heat, you might just go ahead, uh, go ahead and try to take Maxi out of the game. Because I think Har- I mean, Harden's had his playoff woes. We've kind of already – we've everyone and their mother has hit on Harden's playoff woes, so there's no reason to go through it again. But, like, you go attack Maxi, and you kind of throw the first few games, you kind of give him off his games. So that way he's not worried about it. Like game three or four, you're not worried about him as much. So I think that's kind of got to be the game plan. You got to go for Maxi, cut off the second tier, which who's been the second best player in this playoffs for the Sixers outside of, I mean, outside of Joel Embiid. So then you go for him and then you work your magic after that. The, the game plan should be let Bam try to guard hard. I mean, Embiid as much as he can. And then you just work with what you got on the outside, which it will just be throwing Butler at Harden probably and then the combination of guys at Maxi. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. But we also have two more games for both, I mean, for the Heat to win until we get there. So who, I mean, who knows what happens when we go to Atlanta? That's right. And I think Atlanta takes at least one. Um, but that's it at that point. If they only take one, you're going back on the road in an elimination game. And Right. Miami showed out, I think, a little bit better in game two. Uh, in the first game, that early Sunday game, the lower bowl was still empty. Uh, and I hate seeing that in a primetime playoff game. It was Why? Easter Sunday. I'll say that. It was Easter uh, Sunday. It, it, it people are still coming sick. from church. Hey, it's people coming from church. At I don't noon. care. I, I know you if you've care. bought if you bought <laughs> tickets, get there on time. I don't I don't I honestly don't care if you bought tickets, get there on time. I, I wrote down ideas last Sunday, Mitch, that I want to run by you at some point. But one of those ideas is have the lower bowl be a student section seating situation where it's first come, first serve. You buy a ticket to the lower bowl and whoever gets there first, you get in line, you get in, you get the best spot. That way, the people right in front of the cameras, right behind the bench are the most intense. They're right into the game. They're there right away. When you look at the when you look at the TV, you're not seeing empty fucking seats of people who are showing up an hour into the game. Uh, I absolutely love it. I think during the regular season, NBA teams have to make money. Sure, whatever. During the playoffs, have it be the people who are most committed to being there every time, and have that completely filled with great fans the entire game. Uh, I I love that idea. I wrote it down on Sunday as a result of that Heat game. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Okay, so we're discounting not the floor seats, correct? Correct. Floor okay. seats, the rich you rich can have, but <laughs> give me the the lower bowl right behind the benches and all around wherever the TV you know you can see. So we're just doing basically general admission and first come like first serve. Yes, general admission. You buy the ticket. It's you know it's going to be extremely priced. No, it's going to be crazy priced. <laughs> but but it's first come first serve. So I think people are able to you know. You're, you're incentivized to get there early. Otherwise, <laughs> hell, you might not even get a seat. Um, maybe you accidentally sell more than seats you actually have, and then the rest are fucking standing room only. Um, I think there's ways to get around it where you actually have excited people to be there and not people showing up 35, 35 40 minutes or, uh, late uh, to games and just not even there for the entire first quarter. I think that's so ridiculous. I don't disagree with you. I I agree with you that the Heat showed up in game two. Fans showed up a lot more yep. in game two. Game three, they'll show up. I mean, game three is uh, it is the Friday. It's Friday uh, at 6 o'clock. It's on ESPN. So, you know, everyone should be there coming after their work at 7 o'clock Eastern. So, we'll see. One last idea, which is parlaying into this last matchup, which we're going to talk about in Bucks bulls Brooke Lopez in game one to try to take a charge. Can we make it an automatic foul if seven footers try to take a charge? No, I disagree with that fully because you're going to have these. Here's what's going to happen, Aaron. You're going to have these moments where Nicole Jokic tries to take a charge and you're going to throw things. No, I, I don't care. I'm fine calling it a defensive foul automatically. I saw Chet Holmgren do it in the NCAA tournament and I almost threw up. I was like, <laughs> can I can I make a caveat to it? Go ahead. 
what if the guy attacking the rim is bigger than six eight? Okay, maybe that's what that's like where I draw the line. Like six seven. Even six, then, eight. though, even like, then, you go up straight and try to block the shot. Oh, I don't you're disagree not... with that, especially when you're the rim, quote unquote, rim protector. Yes. Is. And also at that size, do you really want to fall down and risk injuring yourself? Like, I don't understand that from a body preservation standpoint, let alone a pride standpoint. Like, charges are for guys like Kyle Lowry who are barely over six foot and are just gritty and have prided themselves on great defense and being able to do small things to get on the floor. Um, Charges are for guys like me who can't do anything else in in a basketball game. So you just stand out there and piss people off. Exactly. It's, (laughs) it's not for the talented seven footer who can block every single shot unless they're overpowered, but you still got to try or even get out of the way. Like that's still better than charge. I just think it's, I've never seen a seven footer take a charge eloquently and that's part of it is you don't sell it at all. So just stop trying. It should be an automatic foul. That's 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 all I gotta say. Um, but Bucks Bulls Bulls are up eight by eight points with five thirty to go. Five thirty eight to go. Um, looks like they might take game two and be tied up one one. Mike Carr prophesizing uh, game two of this series. DeMar DeRozan, quite a big game tonight, 15 for 26, 37 points with five and a half to go. Um, Vucevic, another solid game. Levine's played a bit better tonight. Overall, the Bucs have played well, but um, really got off to a slow start in the first half. Mitch, if the Bulls hold on here, do we think any differently about this series coming back 1-1 to Chicago? I know we expected the Bucs to be up 2-0 in this series going back to Chicago. Chicago's got a great home court. First playoff game since 2017. They're going to be ready to go. What do you think about the series if the Bulls end up taking game two? Well, what I will say is that Middleton did leave uh, during this game. He uh, he went back to the locker room. I'm not sure what for, but he's, no, he's not on the floor right now. Um, the other thing is that Drew Holiday has shot like shit. Um, he is 5 of 12. Uh what I will say is that that just doesn't bode well when you're third best guy, your third guy that you're kind of relying on is going, I mean, is not shooting well. Um, Giannis is having a good night. I mean, nine of, I mean, it's 28 points, 15 boards. Um, but you brought it up. DeRozan having a good playoff game, which we haven't seen in years. I mean, his biggest issue whenever he was on the Raptors was that he couldn't, like he and Lowry couldn't do anything on offense whenever they were going up against like the Cavs teams with LeBron or even the Heat teams with LeBron. So, I mean, ha- seeing a good game out of uh, DeRozan has been great. Vooch has actually shot efficiently tonight. Here's the difference is that these guys are making shots tonight. That's the difference in the Bulls game. Um and that kind of does worry me. And I hate saying that out loud and speaking that into existence because if I'm, but what I do like is the Bucks or the Bulls kind of have a bunch of different guys they can just ask to score and you can, can kind of count on them. The Bucks, especially if Middleton is out and if, if Holiday isn't shooting as efficiently as we'd like him to, that does not help him at all, though. Yeah. I mean, I'm still not worried about it, to be quite honest. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Bucks actually come back and win this game. So if you're listening to this and somehow you're looking back at Wednesday night basketball scores and you see Milwaukee's won this game, please take all this with a grain of salt. But big um, grain of salt. <laughs> a single granular grain of salt. But I think the Bulls have still been really impressive to me. I honestly expected them to get rolled over in these first two games. They played very competitive in game one. Mm-hmm. They were You know, they got the doors blown off them in the first quarter of game one. They came storming back in the second quarter, made it a bit tighter, won the third quarter, and were up in the fourth quarter for a while. Here they are again, controlling most of the game up late in the fourth. um, And now the Bucs are having to storm back. So the fact that they're even in both of these games on the road with a core that's only been together for a singular year is great. It's a great sign. Um, If you're the Bulls, general management and the ownership and Billy Donovan. You'd love to see this sort of stuff, but when it comes to winning this series, I still like the bucks. I mean, I think you still have home court advantage. You still have the best player on in the series and Giannis, arguably the second best player in Chris Middleton, although he hasn't been playing like it, obviously DeMar DeRozan is the second best player this year. Um, But I still think Chris Middleton has had great playoff performances in the past and has proven, um, 
you're going to need more from your role guys outside of Giannis if you're the Bucks. But I still really like the Bucks. I would take them in five still. I think they get uh, the next two in Chicago, especially if they lose tonight. I think they come back with vengeance. Uh, I think we see a little bit out of them what we saw last year versus Miami, uh, which they just came out scorched earth. We need to beat this team after they just beat us last year and went on to the NBA finals in the bubble. Um, I think we see a little bit of that. Plus the Bucks realize how important it is to have rest. Maybe the Celtics net series doesn't go seven or six like we thought it was based on the Celtics being up 2-0. But still, you got to hope if you're the Bucs, you're like, we need to get this series as done as done as soon as possible um, in the case that the Celtics go six or seven. So I like the Bucs overall in this series. That hasn't wavered. But that being said, I'm really impressed by what the Bulls been able to do. Uh, and I'm certainly feeling positive about their future next year. So two things. Bobby Portis left the game earlier with an eye abrasion and then he's not coming back and then Middleton is out for the rest of the game with a knee soreness so if that does not scare anyone outside of me that's great so I'm, I'm gonna walk you back a little bit I don't know if it's I don't think this is gonna be as quickly as we want it to be uh, I think if that's the case if we're not gonna get a fully healthy Middleton we we might see this get this series go five, six maybe even seven and we hate saying that out loud don't we here's the thing though what does knee soreness mean uh, I will speak to knee soreness. <laughs> I have knee soreness after every basketball game, to be quite honest. I have to stretch out my knee. It hurts every morning when I wake up. I'm 24 years old. I exercise almost every day, and I have knee soreness. I think there's a lot of precautionary stuff going on in the first round. I think this is also why the Suns have left out Devin Booker. All right? They know they're going to win the series, period. We don't necessarily need that guy right now. If he's a little bit hurt, we're not going to worsen his case by putting him out there in a game two that's not necessarily a must win. That's exactly why the Suns left out Devin Booker. He dropped 31. When did his uh, hamstring tightness come? Probably when he was in the locker room, right? But he had to aggravate it at some point during that first half, and he was obviously perfectly fine with 31. Now, Chris Middleton, you look at his game so far prior to going out, not an excellent game, but he shot five for seven from three. Like he played pretty good. Um, you know, maybe he has some knee soreness, surely, but I don't think it's that serious uh, in that in that sense. From that just description of it, I think it's more so precautionary. Now, if it is serious, I'm worried about the Bucks. But if it's what I think it is, then I think it's probably just precautionary, and the Bucks are just confident in their ability to win the series, and I think they should be. Of the year, challenging the the term of knee soreness. That makes me. That makes <laughs> you're challenging. It's like the, a knee strain. Strain is scarier than soreness. That's you, true. That's true. I'll give you that one. So, but yeah, I mean, let's put it this way: we're happy with how the, the we're happy that we're enjoying the playoffs so far. I mean, there have been uh, a lot of close games. I mean, this Wednesday night's been full of close games, and we're gonna be like we're gonna be putting out two episodes a week, kind of just to talk about the different games because. We want to keep up. We want to, we want to stay up to date with it as well. So we're excited just to keep up with these different episodes throughout the week. Uh, Sunday, we're going to be bringing on our guys from Game Blouses, uh, Andrew Carlson and Carl Baltimore, just to talk a little bit more. Um, but every Sunday, we're going to have a guest on. And then every thir- every Wednesday, uh, we're going to have just us two uh, doing this. But we are excited for just the rest of these playoffs. Um, Aaron, you got anything else before we uh, kick it out of here? Joker. Oh God. Can you not get ejected in game three okay. and maybe drop 35 points and win us one game? Is that asking too much of what's going to be a back-to-back MVP? Can we have one game from you that really proves it to us in the playoffs? Um, that'd be awesome. I'd appreciate any sort of honor that you can bring and reason for me staying up night after night to watch the Nuggets <laughs> this entire season, other than just, pitiful sadness and a four game sweep. Uh, I would appreciate just one singular win. Thank you. Cause I know it's not going to come from anybody else. That's all I got. I was going to say you're doing the splash trio now in uh, in golden state. So it's going to be good Lord. It's going to be tough for the Celtics. Hey, I know what's going to happen in game three. It's okay. Daddy forgives you uh, game four though. Let's just, let's get ready for that one. Anyways. Um, thanks guys for listening to this episode. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back with some more on Sunday. 
Uh, I'm not going to go on my whole spiel about Spotify because I already know I found the bootleg. I need to, I need someone to sh- send me that bootleg and we're going to be fine. Uh, but appreciate you guys. Keep following us. We're going to be putting out more stuff on our Twitter. We've been very a lot more active just because it's playoff season. Plus, we love just our following. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Hooper's Almanac. And you guys have a great rest of your week. Celtics and Nuggets, let's take game three right away.